0: every
1: generation there is a chosen podcast it alone will analyze the subtext the allegory and the clever weediness dialogue it is
0: conversations with dead people Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and along with the help of many wonderful guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, uh, I explore the comics, films, and television series that have spun up out of the creative minds in, around, and beyond the Whedonverse. Um, With me this week, friend of the show, Melanie Scala, Now I'm not seen around these parts since I believe season five of Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, my goodness, so welcome back, Melanie.
1: Thank you
0: uh it's been a minute what's going on what's been going on in your world? Well, I mean, the world ended, so how have you been <laughs> surviving the apocalypse since the last time we spoke?
1: Lots of video games and and library books
0: excellent excellent um, yeah, I just actually bought my first video game since pretty much since the uh the world ended um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I finally decided to check out the last of us video game series which for some reason i've been putting off forever and i thought you know what that's about a viral apocalypse it might be fun to play that while the world is really ending um and i love the hell out of those games and then of course the the ps5 spider-man game dropped and i got that but it has been a long time and i just got my first video game yeah this week actually um uh, Deathloop, which I have not had time to play because that is going to be quite a head trip and I really want to have a clear slate in my calendar to dive into Yeah, it, but... I've
1: mostly been playing like Stardew and My ah, Time in Portia and that sort of kind of game Gotcha. Because, uh, I am uncoordinated and they are easy.
0: <laughs> gotcha. I don't think I've ever played like obviously everybody talks about Stardew, but I've never played it. I have no idea what it is. Um, is it kind of like a it's one of those you sort of build and nurture your own town kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's fun. At least you're being, I don't know. What's Virtually the word I'm looking productive. for? Virtually <laughs> constructive. I was going to say constructive and I was like, that's not really what it is. But anyways, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I've just been wallowing in uh, misery and depression to distract myself from the real misery and depression. So, Oh well, sure. uh, um, Although it has started taking its toll. And thank God for Ted Lasso. I, uh, Ted Lasso, have you watched that?
1: I haven't. We don't have Apple TV. And, um, a friend of mine lent me their, their account, but they gave me the wrong password. So,
0: oh, burn. Yeah. Um, I keep trying to get people to check that out, but I I always feel bad when they're like, I don't, we don't have Apple Plus. I'm like, well, damn it. I'm sorry. (laughs) But uh I'm pretty sure the first season is out on uh disc. Uh if your local library has it or you could rent it or whatever and uh look into that. I, I'm so desperate for people to watch it. I mean, it's not like it's not being watched. People are watching it, but I'm so desperate for like all of my friends to see it that this Christmas might be me either buying disc sets for people or gifting them <laughs> Apple TV plus. <laughs> Uh, accounts. I don't know. It's just such a breath of fresh air in this horrible, burning hellscape <laughs> that we yeah, live in. Yeah, right when
1: the now. pandemic first started, I watched a lot of uh, schmidt's Schitt's Creek, which I had not seen before. Yeah, which
0: and I've never seen.
1: Surprisingly wholesome once you get past the first few episodes. Okay. Okay. And and charming, and I was just—it made me feel good about the world briefly.
0: Good. Yeah, I absolutely have to check that out, because, like, everybody I know has watched that show and talked about how great it is, and I've never seen a single episode, so I will definitely check that out. What's that on?
1: Uh, Netflix, I think. Okay.
0: I have I have zero excuse. I watch tons of stuff on Netflix. All right. Well, I don't know how to transition from all of that into what we're talking about tonight. Uh, so... I will say that uh, I mentioned we haven't had you on the show since season five of Buffy, um, which I believe your episode, I think you were in episode 42, 40 something. Uh, So quite a ways back since this is episode 76. Um, And this is your first time joining me for any Angel episodes. Yep. And you were helping me kick off season two of Angel. Um, we're going to be talking about the first three episodes of Season 2 of Angel uh, 201 Judgment 202 Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? I cannot wait to talk about that one And 203 First Impressions um, Let me throw a spoiler warning out here In case any of y'all are jumping on board this podcast for the first time right now uh, We will be talking about the plots, characters, and themes of each of these episodes in depth And within the context of the series as a whole which means we're going to spoil possibly everything, maybe everything that Joss Whedon or any of the mutant enemy writers or or any like maybe anything ever. So just be aware of that. Uh, and if you haven't seen uh, Angel or Buffy or Firefly or Dollhouse, uh, maybe hit pause and go check all of that stuff out and come back when you're ready. Um, we will be here as soon as you're done. Um, in the meantime. Now that the official warning's out of the way, uh, Melanie, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start off with uh, season two, episode one, "Judgment," which originally aired on September twenty-sixth, two thousand. It was the teleplay by David Greenwalt and the story by Joss Whedon and David Greenwalt, and directed by Michael Lang. Uh, So, your first impressions? What'd you think? Which no, first impressions is the third episode. (laughs) Your your thoughts on 201 Judgment.
1: Well, before we get to that, Michael Lang actually directed a couple other, mostly Buffy. He did um, Sanctuary on Angel, yeah. which led into Pangs, which he also did. And then he did Bad Girls, Band Candy, and Surprise.
0: Wow, that's good resume.
1: Yeah. These are a lot of my favorite episodes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So does that make Judgment one of your favorite episodes?
1: It does not. It, it's a good episode. <laughs> it is a good episode. Of these 3, I signed up for for Are You Now or <laughs> have you ever been? Yeah. yeah. It, it's exciting to have Lauren introduced and um you know, it's fun with the the old school court. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But um, you know, it's it's not real subtle about the message. No. And it's just kind of, you know, some some nice fun
0: yeah the so my thoughts um the i do like the way that it kicks off the season i love the fact that the very first thing we see is um he we won't learn his name Lorne, until much later in the season i think not till like the end of the season um till then he's just referred to as the host uh, but the the late great andy hallett whom i adore um i love that the season kicks off with him uh I'd forgotten that his his very first like even the even the sort of music cue as his face first comes into frame is like sinister. Like I I forgot that the very first time you ever see Lorne, you're like, "Ooh, here's the big bad of season 2." <laughs> <laughs> and then he talks and then he sings. And I love the fact that the whole season kicks off with "I will survive." Yeah, She's it's very,
1: very very Angel.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so it's obviously it's great that we are introduced to the host slash Lauren. Um, and there are some like individual bits and bobs here and there that I think are good and worth talking about. But largely my largely what I like about this first episode is the the larger context of the episode, the the theme of the entire episode uh, from beginning to end. Less so <laughs> than all of the parts that make it up. So. Um, I mean, I give this episode. I, I was gonna say I give this episode a knock for this, like like I dock it some points for this, but actually I should give it props because uh, I should knock the entire series for this being the final episode where we ever get David Nabbit, uh, yes, the adoricable billionaire, um, whom I love, and I and I've talked about this in a previous episode. He it's not like the writers decided they had no use for him. He had a very, very busy schedule and it was difficult for them to get him. And so, um, yeah, that's why.
1: Yeah. And they, they use him pretty sparingly anyway. So it's not, not really, um, incentive to carve out time for them. Yeah. He does a scene or two and that's it.
0: Yeah. Um, is that, Hang on. I just got confused. This is the last time that we see, uh, David Nabbitt, right? Is it, is it I this episode?
1: Don't know. I was trusting you on this one. Oh no.
0: I jumped, I jumped all the way ahead to first impressions. Dang it. I'm so, I'm so confused. Okay. So David Nabbitt is not in this episode. So no okay. prop no props yeah. or sub, subtractions for that. But, um, <laughs> we do get uh, Jay August Richards is officially added to the opening credits, which is super cool. I'm kind of surprised how quickly that went. He, he was a late addition in season one. Um, and so I'm just, I'm impressed. I'd forgotten that he was in the credits from the very beginning of season two. So that's cool.
1: Yes, it is. And Jay himself just, I love Jay. Yeah. I've interacted with him on Twitter and he's just so friendly and charming.
0: He is. Um, and his and his character gets a first name. He's not just Gun, big scary Gun. He's Charles Gun, two N's. Um, and our very first brief look at the Hyperion Hotel happens in this episode. Yes. Um, and of course, obviously, with the host with Lorne comes Caritas, which is a, a new location for the show and one that uh, will recur throughout the season. It goes beyond season 2, doesn't it? Do we see it in later seasons?
1: Um it gets like destroyed and rebuilt a couple times and then and then Lauren just moves into the hotel.
0: Yeah, I I just couldn't remember when that happened if that was all this season or or next season. Anyways, Caritas is a great location and I for however long we get it, I always enjoy it when they set scenes there. Um
1: This episode has a uh, Justine Machado yeah. The um the pregnant girl. Right. Yeah. And I love her. She's wonderful.
0: She is a great actress. I believe in the script. In my notes I call her Joe, and I think that only comes from the script. I don't yeah. th- I don't think she's named on screen. In the script she's named Joe, but yeah. Um Yeah, what is she from? I I mean, I recognized her. I know her from stuff, but She's
1: been in a lot of things. The things that I I think she was in 6 recognized. feet under maybe. Yes, I think so. Okay. And she um, was in Jane the Virgin and ah. uh, recently uh, One Day at a Time, the remake.
0: Which I've, I've shamefully not seen.
1: Also on Netflix. Also super <laughs> worth watching.
0: I know. I, that's what I've heard. I'm getting a lot of homework in this episode. <laughs> um, so what is... So what is the theme of this episode that I love so much? What do you take out of this episode in terms of theme and, and sort of setting up what the season's going to explore?
1: Well, essentially, it's a microcosm of, of the series with, uh, you know, the point is not where you're going, it's how you get there.
0: Uh-huh. Right. Um, yeah, because Angel starts off the episode very focused on... Like he talks about maybe he'll join a health spa or or whatever. Um, And he's sort of making he's already making plans for when, you know, he fulfills the Shanshu prophecy that we learned about last season uh, and becomes a real boy. Um, And he learns some pretty hard lessons about that attitude in this episode. And uh, this episode ends with him. Visiting my beloved Faith in prison Because yes. not only does he need to keep In touch with her and make sure that you know Her journey is still uh, Proceeding But uh, he kind of needs to remind himself That this whole redemption thing is a A long and Humanizing Journey Can't get too cocky, can't get ahead of himself Exactly A lesson that he learns And relearns many times over the course of the season and the series as a whole, but, um,
1: now does that bother you the way it bothers you that Buffy has to relearn lessons?
0: I mean, are you asking me if I'm being a hypocrite? Yes. Um, all right. That's a very incisive journalism there. <laughs> um, maybe sometimes at this particular moment, it doesn't like, I, I don't watch this episode and go, Oh, you're such a, I don't roll my eyes at angel for this. Um, I'm sure it does, and I will, I will, I will try to be mindful of that. And whenever you're on the show, please remind me, <laughs> call me on that again, because I feel like there are times um, in the in the series going forward where I sort of roll my eyes. At, in fact, I know for a fact in season three there are moments where I'm like, "Oh, Angel, you big dope." Um, but perhaps I'm not quite as critical as Angel of Angel as I am of Buffy. That's a horrible admission, but I feel Like maybe that's where I am Okay. Um, I don't know Why that is Let's not explore (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe It's because I I started off Buffy the Vampire Slayer Actually liking Buffy and gradually My my, What I term now my dislike of Buffy Summers uh, Was from A gradual, I just gradually got more And more frustrated and annoyed with her um I never particularly liked Angel from the very first time we saw Angel I just wasn't at 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 most I tolerated him or I thought that maybe he was an interesting you know side piece or whatever but um I quickly grew to not care very much about Angel and so uh um I've said many times that uh, it wasn't until the spin-off show his own title show where I suddenly decided where I I decided you know what I actually like this character so I don't know. Maybe it's because my sort of initial love-hate relationship is inverted okay. with Angel. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that'll be a good thing for the listeners to call me out on, to track over the course of this podcast. Um, so the what I appreciate about this episode um, is that oh, we do get the first appearance of Merle like a yes. uh, demon stool pigeon Earl or Merle, excuse me. Um, who really
1: reminds me of uh, Owen Wilson? Something oh. about his speech patterns.
0: You're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, I looked up the actor uh, because I super recognize, I thought I super recognized him, uh, not just as Merle, but, but um, I didn't really recognize anything in his credits. Uh, but you're right. Now that you say that, that's probably what it was. I was, mm-hmm. I was probably hearing, uh, Mobius for Loki <laughs> in his voice. Anyways, I love the character of Merle and I will likely have things to say about him as the season and our hero's treatment of him progresses. Here's the thing that maybe I'll call Angel out on. I feel like. I take up for Merle and the way he is consistently abused by angel, the way that I take up for, uh, for, oh my gosh, Jonathan on Buffy and the way everybody just consistently abused him.
1: Okay. That's valid. And it's interesting because angel, you know, early in the episode learns not everyone's you know, not every demon is evil. And even if there's, you know, their general type is to be evil. Right. They're not necessarily evil, but he doesn't like apply that to Merle at all. He doesn't, you know, even lighten up a little bit,
0: which is exactly the kind of hypocrisy that I called the Buffy gang out on all the time. Um, I will be calling angel out on that. I think, um, that is a thing that gradually, the character of Merle, that really starts to annoy me as he as we go forward with that. I think on my first viewing of this particular episode, it didn't bug me so much because there's a lot of noir going on here. And he is the trope of the stool pigeon that right. the heroes have to shake down for information, which is just just a thing that these stories always have. So I think it takes a little while before I initially recognize, come on. Like you're, this is in an episode where you're supposed to be learning this valuable lesson, and you're slamming poor Merle up against a fence. But um, so, anyways, yeah, the the larger theme of the episode that I think it sets up for the season is the whole. It challenges the characters and the viewers' presumptions about demons, but about like people in general. So, I mean, the whole. Uh, MacGuffin of the episode revolves around Angel killing Joe's demon protector um, Because he presumes that it's a bad demon uh, There's the bit with Gunn and his group Trying to save that rich guy in the parking lot And he has, and he presumes that They are the ones that are coming to get him um, And I think Yeah, this is the episode where Angel sends Gunn to Cordy's apartment and they assume.
1: Yeah, they assume that he is, he just says he's gone. And they're like, oh my God, it could be a demon with a gun.
0: Right, right, yeah. Um,
1: so... I think there's a, a element of a theme here with uh, the three episodes and racism. Uh-huh. It's, of course, most obvious in episode two. But um, there's definitely both in this one and episode three, some, some elements there, too, with Gunn and uh, Cordy and Wes being, like, opposite poles uh, class-wise mm-hmm. to an extent, and um, especially Cordy, and uh, with uh, privilege and, and education and what have you. Yeah. Like, we don't know anything about Gunn except that he grew up tough, and we know that Cordy and Wes both had pretty good educations. Cordy's parents were rich. She had a lot of opportunities that gun maybe didn't. And she's really, they they're both, she and, and Wes are really naive about people of color.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, not their fault. If Whedon and company had put more people of color in Buffy, <laughs> they would have had an opportunity, but yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, for as perhaps on the nose and just not really all that inspiring as this episode is in its beat by beat uh, delivery, I am predisposed to love this episode because for seven seasons on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I complained about the whole stake first, ask questions later attitude. Um, and repeatedly referenced, oh, Angel, the show is going to get this so much better, in my opinion. Um, so the fact that this episode is setting that up um, and the very first scene in the in this episode uh, introduces kind of the poster child for that whole, you know, not all demons are evil thing by mm-hmm. introducing Lorne. So, yeah, for whatever other, I don't know necessarily if the episode has problems, but. Aside from the larger theme of the episode, it's just kind of there, in my my opinion. Um, Even though it does give us Merle, who I adore. And we we absolutely cannot talk about this episode without talking about music choices. I already said that I Will Survive is a great song choice to kick off the episode and the season. But of course, this is what gives us Mandy.
1: Yes, there's in my notes it just says Mandy really big. It's like half the page.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, my notes say Mandy is glorious in all caps. <laughs> um, and I love the fact that the that different takes of him singing Mandy uh, play over the closing credits.
1: Yeah, I checked the uh, shooting script, and it's written into the script that they do that.
0: Okay, all right. I didn't know if the, if those were alternate takes or. Or,
1: I think it's probably a little bit of both. Okay, yeah,
0: because some of them you can definitely see. It's hard to tell if it's angel. It's unlikely that it's angel. It's uh, it's yeah, David, uh, David Boreanaz having
1: fun, there.
0: having fun with it. Yeah. Um, but man, so I can't, I cannot remember if you've gone to any of the Slayish conferences. I
1: have not. You
0: have not. Okay. Well, I think at every one of those, there's always a sing along. There's a there's a big. Uh, you know, dinner, party Every Friday or Saturday night I can't remember And there's a sing-along there And uh, um, I would love to take Some small bit of credit Because I complained after the first one That this song was not included uh, But it's probably Stacy Abbott And the small handful of other Angel fans That were vocal at those things But eventually Mandy was added to the rotation So in the sing-alongs We often got to sing Mandy
1: and it pops up several times in the series.
0: It does, very. I always,
1: every time that he uh, references it, I think about uh, the scene where he sings it with with uh, Connor for for uh, Jasmine. I totally forgot.
0: I forgot it's that just happened. So
1: ridiculous! I can't help but think about it. Wow. But um, oh, I actually read something very insightful about um, the use of Mandy. Okay. Later on, we. Uh, see that he is, he's playing that song on the jukebox when he eats the, uh, the counter guy
0: in Orpheus, who,
1: uh, was robbed.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, so that sort of connects back with this episode in that it's, a it's a sign of, of change and, uh learning kind of cuz like that time he changed kind of more negatively and and right scared himself into living on the streets and eating rats right and uh, this time he's hopefully changing for the better
0: hopefully hopefully um yeah i can't remember i'm sure we get I mean I'd forgotten about that whole him and Connor singing it so that's obviously coming up. I know the song is referenced again but how many more opportunities do we get to hear David Boreanaz sing? It's got to happen again.
1: Um he sings in uh First Impressions, doesn't he? No, they he, just reference it. They
0: reference that he sang, but we don't get to hear him. It must happen again. I'm 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 sure we hear him sing it. Um or do now I can't remember. I literally just watched First Impressions and I can't remember if we hear him sing any of that. Uh I don't think we do. I think they just talk about it. I think Lauren just yeah. says, Hmm, Tears of a Clown. Yeah. Anyways, it's always a treat. So we've now had one episode that featured David Boriana's doing a ridiculous dance and one episode of David Boriana's doing a tremendous Uh, Grammy worthy performance Mandy (laughs) Um, What else will we get Uh, Is there anything else in this episode That we need to Look at Uh, I was going to point out an oops I don't usually point out um, Like Gaffes Or that kind of thing but In the opening of this episode in the cold open of this episode, we get a scene of them str- of the f- the Fang Gang striding purposefully f- through that gym, and there's that one tracking shot of all of the mirrors on the wall behind them as the group is walking, and you don't see Angel reflected. Now, I'm sure this just I'm sure this particular goof happens because uh, the broadcast aspect ratio has been changed now that it's on Hulu. So the screen is a little wider, mm-hmm. but I'm watching it on Hulu and in that version you can see David is reflected in the mirror down here on the far right uh, waiting to step into frame so it looks like <laughs> he was walking with him the whole time. So it looks kind of goofy when you notice that when you watch it on the Netflix version or the, the Hulu version, but um, I presume that that was cropped out on the broadcast version
1: i think so i think broadcast was uh three four but the dvds were widescreen yeah or four three rather
0: yeah so uh there was just that which was more funny than annoying but um i also think there was one shot of a boom mic in one of these episodes but whatever i've learned to ignore those things (laughs) Uh, is there anything else about this one
1: No, no i don't think so
0: um I think the last thing I'll say about it is, it's it's one of those brief. I often credit actors doing the really subtle facial acting, where something is not like overblown or not really stated. You can just see an actor giving that performance in their face. And Boreana's does a good job in one spot here. When um, I can't remember if it happens when she says it or if it, if he reflects upon it later in the episode. I'm not sure. But um, Joe, the the Pregnant woman gets the line um, You know, right, right Because she's some seer or leader Talking about her unborn child uh, She's some seer or leader or Joan of Arc Well, you know what she is to me? My daughter, not someone's Holy mission. I think it is a reaction To that. I think he does react when she Says that. You can see in his face That that really hits him, and I feel like that Kind of sticks with him for a while. That's one of the That's really one of the driving Forces, particularly in this episode But I feel like it sticks with him going forward Mm-hmm. That he's been called out Kind of like I was just called out for my hypocrisy On <laughs> on the air But uh, that he's been called out for Thinking of this unborn child as a holy mission And not an actual Person that needs help um, Okay I'm tempted I'm going to give you this option I don't usually do this but I'm going to give you this option Because I'm tempted to skip Are you now or have, have you ever been and talk about the third episode and then come back because I know we're going to have more to say about.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good plan. Okay.
0: Now I give you that option because I have virtually nothing to say about episode two or impressions. <laughs> Although obviously I did already leak. I, I spoiled my, my thing about it. it's the final appearance of David Nabbit. Um, who is it's such an ignoble write-off for the character because it doesn't even really seem like a write-off he comes in he has a funny you know moment where he's all ready to join the fight and Angel's like no I just need financial advice Um, and then he walks out of the building and I was like oh man that's a wrap on David Nabbitt. yeah but um, other than you know there's that and I like the sort of recurring gag of the pink motorcycle helmet Uh, it
1: is fun there's, um, you know,
0: there's little beats like that, but for the for yeah. the most part, I'm like,
1: this is a mostly forgettable episode. Yeah, definitely not my favorite. Um, Jay does a lot of really great facial stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Although I noticed, I don't know why I got really distracted by the fact that when he says car, he says it like in a boss Max and he's like, car. I, was
0: <laughs> I didn't notice distracted
1: that. By that um
0: is he is he a bostonian i don't know he didn't strike me as that but okay uh what else
1: all i have in my notes is cordy acting so as socially awkward it's so rare that it was fun to watch
0: yeah yeah and
1: then she was so competent once there was like violence i
0: really yes i really liked that i really liked how um I really like that change in Cordy. I mean, we saw hints of it, I, th- I think, in season one, but this season really shows like her growth from that traumatic experience at the end of season one, and, and uh, she steps right into the fray. I loved the fact that she was very calm and in control when, uh, what was that girl's name? Vanessa gets stabbed in the neck or whatever, and, like, Cordy helps her. And of course, the doctor has to point out to Gunn, "Well, your friend probably said, you know, she probably saved this person's life." Um, so I liked all that. Um, it's a little weird that it feels like the writers might have been testing the waters for a a Gunn and Cordelia romance.
1: I could see that, but yeah, that feels very weird. <laughs>
0: since spoiler alert that never even comes close to paying off i don't think that's ever hinted at ever again maybe i'm wrong but i don't think that's ever a thing uh it was just sort of weird to notice at this time i was like i wonder if they were sort of trying to figure out if maybe that was a thing that they would do um but regardless whether that was intentional or not i, I sometimes it was a little eye-rolly uh
1: that whole um you are the thing that's threatening you. That was very cheesy. It, it and was. also they don't really follow up on it.
0: Right. Yeah. he. It's not like he ever stops being impulsive and, you know, he doesn't become risk averse or anything. Right. So. Also powers that be, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> I suppose I could say, and it might actually even be a little endearing to think that the powers that be recognize that Charles Gunn is sort of, you know, an important person to the fight, and they're just looking out for him. So good looking out, P, PB, TV, no PT, I don't know powers, that... <laughs> whatever. Um, you know, they're just looking out for for one of their boys, so that's good. But I agree with Cordelia, with Cordelia, where she's like, you know, could you vague that up a little bit or whatever? Yeah, It I'll... was really
1: with um the first episode as well. I was when they showed like the flash cuts of the vision I'm just like how do you get anything from
0: right that? right yeah um, yeah so I mean there was some fun stuff like when Angel when Angel and Wesley get to the aftermath at the party and they they sort of stop that girl that's leaving and they're being all comforting and are you know are you okay and then Angel smat you know headbutts her and she puts on her vamp face that was kind of fun but it's just stuff like that. There's little beats that uh, yeah. are a little entertaining. So it's almost like the first episode where there are there are bits and bobs in it that are really good or fun or whatever. Um, and in the first one, it was the overarching theme of the episode that I thought was so great. In this one, there are little bits and bobs that are good, but there's no there's no larger thing here that really moves me. Which is it's actually particularly shame because this episode I. I I didn't do my usual thing. So the original air date on this was October 10th, 2000 was written by Sean Ryan, directed by James A. Conner. Um, It's worth noting that this episode was written. I think this is the first episode written by Sean Ryan. I think he just joined angel in this season. And uh, it's a shame that this episode isn't better because Sean Ryan obviously is known for the shield and (laughs) Uh, Lie to me and most importantly To me I mean I love Yes Terriers Yes mother Pumping Terriers (laughs) Which is every time I watch Something on whatever Platform that's on is it on Netflix
1: Uh, I think right now it's on Amazon
0: okay Yeah I think you're right so whatever There's so many goddamn streaming (laughs) platforms I can't keep track Uh, Whenever I watch something on that the up next always goes to episode one of terriers i'm like oh i need to do a rewatch but not right now not right now
1: i uh tried to get my partner into it and he was very bored by it oh and man i was like you know this is like grounds for breaking up right
0: <laughs> it's certainly a red flag um uh, anyways so yeah this episode was a little disappointing considering uh, what it follows and you know who the Episode comes from but it's not Bad I didn't hate it It's just I noticed that...
1: when I was looking at Shooting scripts that it's this episode Is the one that had like The fewest changes to it From when it was written To when it was okay. filmed and edited mm-hmm. uh, There's a ton Of changes in are you now And have you ever been with things being reordered Or cut I think they went Over for like 10 or 15 minutes with material. Dang. And um, the first one had a few changes, few cuts, but not like a lot. This one just exactly the same.
0: Which might be a point of pride for some people. Like I'm sure Sean Ryan is like, yeah, nailed it. I brought it in at exactly what it needed to be. On the other hand, you're like, I mean, you did the bare minimum, I guess is what you could say. But I don't know I still like Sean Ryan I just I I don't remember what he does I know he's a producer In season 2 I assume he writes More episodes but I don't typically Do research for this show So I don't know what his next episode Of this is going to be but I I, Fingers crossed that any future episodes he pens Are more memorable Or stand out than this but So it was kind of weird that we jumped Over it so let's go ahead and Unless there's anything else you want to say about First Impressions
1: the only other thing I have in my notes is angel in cargo pants. No, I
0: d- was angel in cargo pants. Yeah.
1: in the last scene, he's wearing black cargo pants and they, they look, you know, most of the time, pretty normal. And then you just like, from a certain angle, you see the pockets and it's like, why don't do that? He's stylish. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: hang on a second. So I, I kind of share your bafflement at the, at angel wearing cargo pants. That is a little weird, although they have such useful pockets. Um, <laughs> But were you the were you the person that was
1: yes, denigrating?
0: That was the... Oh man. See Yeah,
1: David, my partner has like these fancy shorts. They're they're like really nice shorts. They're made of like they're good construction. They're made of high quality materials. And they have these um inset pockets. They're uh-huh. not like the cargo pockets that are on the outside and, right. and have a flap, but they are definitely cargo pocket pockets that just have like inset pockets. And they're very upsetting to me Went to (laughs) a wedding earlier this summer.
0: He wore them to a wedding. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. My cousin got married and he had a he got he lives in Switzerland. So he had the wedding in Switzerland, a party in France where his bride's family is from Mm. Then came over here in August and had a party at our aunt and uncle's place. And we did it all outside. And it wasn't that ton of people. But David wore his cargo shorts to this wedding.
0: Dress cargo shorts. I like it.
1: It's very upsetting to me.
0: <laughs> I approve. I'm. I love cargo shorts. I don't wear cargo pants. Well, I did when I was a zookeeper. I, I wore. But anyways, I
1: recognize their utility, and I have yeah. a bunch of pairs for when I'm working because right. you know, landscaping. You got a lot of stuff to carry around. Right. But um, for just like general fashion.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to shop around for some dress uh <laughs> cargo shorts now.
1: David uh commented on the post with the name brand or whatever. Okay. So you can check that out if All right. you are desperate to.
0: Excellent. I do appreciate that you called me out for having terrible taste when I supported that though. <laughs> um okay, so let's uh Let's go back now to episode 202 Are you now or have you ever been Original air date October 3rd, 2000 Written by the incomparable Tim Minear Directed by David Semmel. Uh, Melanie, go
1: Well Unsurprisingly to me This is one of Alexis's favorites It's one of David's favorites Good. And it's one of Joss' favorites okay. And it's one of my favorites And I think one of yours
0: Yes, absolutely
1: I don't think I know anybody who doesn't like this episode.
0: Now, it's one of the it's one of the big guns. It's one of the sort of masterpiece Angel episodes in my and a lot of people's opinions. I agree. Um it's it's um for many, many reasons. The first thing I'll say is that it's very atmospheric. Um it's very uh sort of haunting noir. It it obviously it very openly and effectively evokes classic hollywood films like obviously rebel without a cause is all over mm-hmm. this uh yeah i mean you get the scene with angel dressed like they're at the Griffith observatory and smoking with his yep. with his knee up and everything i mean um chinatown even psycho with the whole you know the the woman has embezzled from her bank or whatever like i mean that's all psycho there's also retro that's fair the
1: shining in there yeah
0: yeah yeah in the hotel yeah um some la confidential anyways i I really need michael holland i know he's listening i really he needs to chime in uh on the post when this eventually goes up with his thoughts since he's a classic hollywood buff um but also it's just a brilliantly written and directed episode it really
1: is and everything that i saw in the script that got cut was also like very very fun and i wish that they could have done like a uh extended version to put on the dvds because it all just everything that got cut looks so much fun and very just at home within the show within the episode
0: can you think of any could you remember anything off was it all just like character beats
1: yeah pretty much it was stuff like um uh cordy and west doing research and like more background stuff for for the hyperion like I think there was like a clown killer and there was a guy. Is that a
0: person that kills clowns or a clown (laughs) that kills people? The latter. And
1: somebody who like killed people for plants or with plants or something. Interesting. And the way that they discussed it was just hilarious.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't... uh... Maybe when we're done, you can give me a link to where you find the shooting scripts. Cause I don't, I, I like Google individual, like I look up transcripts and stuff like that to right. find this, but it would, I, I don't typically track down shooting scripts. So if that's a thing that you frequently look at, um, I'd appreciate that link and maybe I'll include it in the show notes. Although I'm sure all my listeners are way smarter and more effective at this <laughs> than I am. So they probably already know
1: well, I only have the first three seasons, but
0: oh, okay. Um, so obvious. I mean The title of the episode Uh, even though we keep stumbling Over it, it is, are you now Or have you ever been? That's the title Of the episode, which obviously is a reference I had forgotten that at the very beginning of the episode We Pan through the the Lobby in the 50s and we hear the TV Broadcast of the House and American Activities Committee Um, and someone says, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Which is where the title That's comes Joe from. That's Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy, thank you. Um, so I'd forgotten that that was just spelled out for us right there. In the yeah, episode. I think
1: probably for, for the younger viewers that had not been alive for that, you know, not necessarily learned about it in school.
0: Right. Good old McCarthyism. Here's here's an interesting question mark embarrassing question mark admission uh, most of my at least what little mental space i have carved out for the whole mccarthyism era the space that that lives in in my head comes from the wild cards novels have you ever read any of those i have not it's the shared superhero it was in large part my inspiration for the deli of justice project that eric arlo and i did but um that has a pretty significant period of the first book that is set during the McCarthyism era and the whole house on American activities committee and all that stuff. So, um, I lived Yeah,
1: all my knowledge of it is from pop culture also. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I I was a nomad growing up and didn't do a lot of school (laughs) stuff. So I did not learn this in school. I learned from, uh, pop culture and fiction.
1: Yeah. My, uh, history education stopped before we got to the 20th century. Uh-huh. Like in high school, it, it did not do any of the 20th century stuff. I just kind of like, we picked up stuff through uh, like whatever illusions and and such and pop culture and yeah. whatever else. But we, we didn't cover anything from the 20th century, which I always found very disappointing because it's, you know, something that I don't know about really very well since before, you know, 1990. This
0: is why I hang out with uh, my co-host, Arlo, who um, who did finish high school. I did not finish high school. He did. And yet I'm much more like I'll always, anytime I make a Shakespeare reference, he's like, man, you're so much smart. You're so smarter than me. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I really just... Watch watch, read, and listen to a lot of pop culture. Yeah. All of my academic friends, I'm sure, are rolling their eyes right now. But. <laughs> Anyways, back to the episode. Uh man, it's hard to encapsulate what is so good about this episode, what's so great about this episode. Um This Well, what are your thoughts on it? What stands out to you?
1: I always love a good period piece. Yeah. Um, I just Something about putting familiar people in unfamiliar settings mm-hmm. Or unfamiliar to us And uh, unfamiliar costuming and that sort of thing It's just always kind of a, a fun thing And then this is a very kind of Gothic mm-hmm. sort of thing And I'm very into gothic literature and movies um, I took a class in college that was all about uh, Jane Austen and the Gothic, which okay. sounds like a weird combination, but it was really fun class. Sounds, and, sounds um, like a
0: great superhero comic, Jane Austen and the Gothic.
1: <laughs> that that could be fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really love like the, the atmosphere and and um, kind of the, the creepiness of, of this episode. Long before you see the demon... It's just, it permeates every scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, you get the creepy whispers and everything. Uh, the the set design, uh, the location design is fantastic. I mean, not yeah, I only... Was... Go ahead.
1: Sorry, go ahead. Uh,
0: not only is this just an absolutely wonderful uh, character exploration for Angel, um, but it also establishes the Hyperion which becomes a very important location to the series for the next three seasons. Yeah. Um,
1: Two, three, and four.
0: Yeah. Uh, it really makes... I mean, it turns the Hyperion into a character.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I was reading about the uh, inspiration for the Hyperion, the exterior entrances they they filmed those at the actual location which was the los altos hotel and apartments yep and uh at at certain times betty davis may west william randolph hearst all lived there
0: oh at the um, real location
1: yeah awesome and uh like the hyperion it was like very famous and then the great depression hit and then it was kind of like a crap sh- crap shoot
0: yeah um it's a beautiful Exterior location which actually I said this um, I said that Judgment was Our first very brief introduction To the Hyperion and that's true because That was the Hyperion But I believe in season One I must have talked about this at the Time uh, but I believe in season One there was an episode that took place We we actually see Was it the I fall to pieces Uh, which might've been season episode two. I don't know. Anyways, there was an episode where we see the courtyard of those of that hotel, Mm -hmm. which was not at least as far as I know, it was not alluded to that. That was actually the Hyperion. It was just a location they shot at, but right. Anyways, uh, the Hyperion officially makes its premiere in this season. uh, And it's a wonderful location. I love the, I love the, um, hallways like the hallway outside Angel's room it's so yeah all
1: the the art deco
0: yeah i mean and the and the i think the physical set is pretty big like i don't think the hallways are narrow but the it's so poorly lit and the wallpaper is so overpowering and like enclosing <laughs> that it feels very claustrophobic and and yes. sort of shining like yes um if only Angel's door had ever opened and blood had poured out Or anything
1: (laughs) Or uh, those amazing elevator doors
0: Those elevator doors are pretty cool Um, Yeah Uh, So obviously this episode uses Since it ties into the whole McCarthyism stuff, it uses paranoia And uh, prejudice um, As its hook Um, This is not The last time That we will get to see uh, angel with a soul making very questionable moral choices um in fact maybe not the last time in this season so we see that happen i can't remember
1: no it's definitely not the last time this season
0: okay okay
1: his uh ending leaving the hyperion where he's just like take them all yeah very much like when he closes
0: the doors Darla
1: and and drusilla in with the uh, Wolfman heart yeah exactly yeah. yeah.
0: You know what? Just to step very, very briefly out of this episode and back into first impressions, we didn't even mention Darla. We didn't even
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't love the Darla arc. Um
0: Like ever or or just, just so far?
1: Parts of it like ever. Okay. There's parts of it I like, but mostly um especially when Drew is around, I very much don't like it. Oh so,
0: I remember um, liking it. It'll be interesting to see how I feel this time around. Um, I did think it was interesting, I read somewhere It might have been on the wiki That uh, um, Julie Benz said At this point in filming She did not know I'm about to spoil something Because I just realized our listeners New listeners don't know this Yet either So spoiler alert Um, Julie Benz did not know that Darla was human That they had brought Uh, her back as human So she was still playing it As vampire Um, And I think she said it's the episode Dear Boy, which uh, I'll be talking about next time around, um, is when she was made aware of the fact that, oh, I'm not a vampire anymore. Okay,
1: It makes sense, though, that she would play it more vampire anyway, because she was a vampire for hundreds of years more than she was human. Right. And we see as the arc moves on that she can't handle being human again, that, that all the guilt and she desperately wants to get back. To being a vampire right
0: yeah, so just a shout out that we that Julie benz uh, darla is in first impressions defi- despite the fact that neither one of us even mentioned that <laughs> but um, anyways she's not in uh, are you now or have you ever been um, but angel uh, is still so Darla is haunting Angel in his dreams, whispering in his ear metaphorically, Andrew. or actually literally since we find yeah. out at the end of the episode but um, in this he is still dealing with whispers in his head, um uh, the Thessalac demon, which i can't I've never quite decided if I think the Thessalac demon, I think the actor uh who i don't I don't think I wrote him down, I'm so sorry, I didn't write down the actor uh, who portrays the Thessalac demon, but um his performance like his his line delivery i think is great um it's mem- I think
1: most i don't. i don't even mind the character design except i think like it should have been more voluminous yeah. with the tentacles yeah the thing that bothers me about this asac is actually how they kill it which would be fine except for that one tentacle is like four times the size of of all the rest of them
0: yeah so i I agree with you the the sort of when we first see him manifested uh it's a, it's a unique design he's very as far as we know he doesn't even have arms, but he certainly doesn't look like he has arms it's just a narrow cloaked figure that flares out at the bottom with a bunch of writhing tentacles that's a cool design that could have I, I think it's i think it's when they dispatch him when when gun pins one tentacle to the railing to hold him in place, and then angel drags the other tentacle. Once you they pull back and you see oh here's this kind of cool sort of almost Lovecraftian character, with these two little dinky tentacles just pulled out to the sides. Yeah, it was it it looked a little goofy. Yeah, um, I think it
1: was probably just a, a budget limitation with, the, yeah. with costume making and all that. But um, I mean, like, I feel like at the very least they could have like when they extended the the um tentacles they could have spread the cloak more so it looked like they were actually affecting the rest of the (laughs) body
0: (laughs) right right i i mean i've i've gone back and forth i feel like i lean more towards the whole cheesy rubber monster aspect of the whedonverse is endearing less than it is you know laughable i certainly have my share of moments where i'm like that was utterly preposterous (laughs) um but You know, it's the the goofy rubber Star Trek monsters are also sort of delightful sometimes on these shows.
1: They definitely can be.
0: Um, And that's what I was saying. I I haven't quite decided if I feel like the, the, you know, Doctor Who ness of the villain design detracts from what I think is a really cool concept and a great performance by that actor. Um, But the real horror of the episode, we need to talk about um, Melissa Marsala who plays judy um like that's the real horror of the episode uh, mm-hmm. the performances by i wrote down john i don't know how to say his last name capelos who played uh roland me the manager. the manager um he's obviously a classic actor that i've seen in tons of things including uh forever night another vampire <laughs> tv show um but uh, so there's plenty of actors in here that do great things. But the the highlight is Melissa Marsala as Judy. And Definitely. that's where the real horror comes in. Um, I loved her performance uh, as the, you know, the the fearful on the run. Uh, I I actually love the I've been passing. What did she say? I don't remember how long she said. I've been passing since I was 15 or something like that. Something like what that. She said. Um, which is you know it's great it's timely for today it's great in the context of the story that's being told and it's also uh great it ties into the whole metaphor of angel who's also able to pass there's there's many times in the show where there's some reference either they use the term passing i think doyle i think in season one doyle made some comment about how or or one of his uh brother demons said something like you're able to pass you don't know what it's like you're able to pass so
1: I think that was Sean Gunn
0: Oh yeah 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 I think you're right I think you're right um, Anyways so yeah It's it's a a theme slash metaphor That pops up a lot but obviously in this context uh, It's powerful And her performance yeah. was fantastic Something
1: that I did not get from David's performance that I did See in the in the Shooting script was that Like when when she says She's passing He kind of gives her a look like uh huh but I didn't think that Angel would be quite so clueless. And in the script, they're they're saying that he's completely like so uninvolved in humanity that uh, he had no idea what that meant. And that's why he was just like, it's just blood. It's all it's all blood.
0: Gotcha. Um, that's interesting, because I'm trying to <sighs> remind me what the full context of that scene is. Because that um, it's just blood, Judy is a line that I noted, and I remember really loving you know, all the ways that we could read into that line, but remind me what the scene was
1: uh she was explaining her her crime that that the reason that she's on the run uh-huh. and um she she the the crime was that she is black, basically, and so she got fired from her job and stole right. stole money from the bank,
0: right yeah and that's right
1: so, um he didn't really like understand why passing as white would be a problem and um you know black people's blood and white people's blood are the same thing. Right. you can't tell any difference interestingly uh david and i've been watching mash okay which neither of us have seen before really? despite being 80s babies oh, awesome and uh, we just watched an episode where um, one of the soldiers, the Patients of the Week or whatever, um, asks for the right blood because he doesn't want any black blood given to him. And so they, they put makeup on his face. They, they basically uh, uh, blackface him. And he is horrified that he got the wrong blood. And then, you know, he learns his lesson.
0: I vaguely remember that, just the blackface part of it. I'm like, that's that's ringing a bell. I'm, I did watch that show uh, as a child, so I'm sure I'd seen it. But man, I haven't thought about MASH in forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've started calling it the the uh, Alan Alda fucks with people show.
0: <laughs> well, that's what, yeah, that's what it is. Um, so. Man, I don't feel like we're we're doing justice to this episode. Um, I, th- I read an interesting thing. So one of the very minor bits of research that I ever do when I'm recording these episodes is I frequently will uh, read uh, Nikki Stafford's book, Once Bitten: An Unofficial Guide to the World of Angel. I'll just read what she had to say about the episode, and in this one, she made uh, an interesting observation uh she talks about how i may be wording this i didn't i'm not quoting her i may be wording this more strongly than she intended so this is my emphasis but the bothersome hypocrisy again there's that word uh of some of the fan base uh that really took spike to task when he got his soul uh they t- they they complained that you know he was struggling to do the right thing to be a good person Um, You know only months after having His soul returned and this Episode and many episodes of Angel but this Episode reminds us that Angel at this point Had had his soul for 70 years Had had his soul for a long time And is still Struggling and making Poor choices and doing bad things Yeah Um, So anyways I I just
1: I'm sure that some of that is just um, Like angel like i don't think he's in season two when he's kind of morally ambiguous it's not really interesting to me i'm just like he seems kind of bland honestly
0: uh angel you mean yeah okay
1: but like when we look at past angel and he's morally ambiguous it's much more interesting to me i don't know like maybe with the context of knowing that he eventually becomes who he becomes right um it's just always much more interesting to me in in, uh flashbacks
0: i i'm gonna i'm trying to find a word other than interesting to say but (laughs) interesting uh i think i think i might I might be on the other side of the coin on there because um, what I love about, and again, my memories are shaky. So I believe what I love about uh, the sort of Dark Angel aspect that we get in season two and maybe season three uh, is that it reminds us. It shows us angel being morally ambiguous with a soul. it it's not it never really implies that um oh, angel's lost his soul. like I like that's a gimmick that they pull once or twice. the whole will he won't he has he mm-hmm. has he not or whatever. But for the most part, we see angel with a soul struggling with all of the moral quandaries that humans with souls have to deal with. Um, and so I like watching him struggle that way. Um, That is a little more interesting to me, I think, generally than the whole, oh, we're about to steal Angel's soul and he's going to be all bad, which is not to say I don't adore every opportunity that we get to see Angelus on screen. But in terms of moral quandaries,
1: uh, I've noticed is um, pretty much every time that we see Evil Angel, he smokes Uh huh. And in this episode, when he's morally ambiguous, he also smokes smokes. Yeah, I I don't know if he does at any point in the rest of the season or not. But it's certainly an interesting uh, uh, data point.
0: I did take note of the fact that he was smoking, but it was only in the I was only thinking, oh, I mean, he's James Dean. Like he's playing James Dean right now. So, of course, he smokes. It didn't dawn on me that, uh, you know, there's more there's more to that. Um,
1: yeah. I might just be reading into it that reading into pulling stuff out of my ass.
0: No, that's, I mean, that's what we do here. That's what this is for. Uh, so the end of the episode, um, poor gun didn't really have much to do with this episode. Uh, gun was, just kind of there. What did he do? Like, li- I think he literally just came in at the end to fire a crossbow bolt, right? Pretty much. That's pretty much all we got from him. And um, to roll
1: his eyes at Wesley.
0: Right. It's so interesting that they set up that dynamic between... Uh, that's another thing that I had forgotten happened so soon. I remember that there becomes a... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's more than a sibling rivalry, but there's certainly a, some headbutting between Gunn and Wesley. But I forgot that That's that was pretty much right of out of the, the things gate that
1: I love about season two is um, they start out like bickering mm-hmm. and, and sort of just uh, being obnoxious to be obnoxious. And when they have all this time away from Angel, when they're running Angel investigations without him, they form this amazing relationship that uh, they are just really good friends of bros that gets tested when amy acker joins the cast right but mostly does not like get too damaged until the events of season three
0: yeah yeah the stuff that happens in season three i am simultaneously dying to get to and really (laughs) dreading There's some of that stuff that I'm like, oh man, I remember that being like super powerful. That's going to be fun to talk about. No, it's not. It will not be fun <laughs> to talk about. I kind of don't want that. Maybe on this rewatch, it'll be different. <laughs> maybe, maybe they won't do what they did. Um, Yeah, the, the, the bickering between them is uh, amusing, particularly in the scene when I think they're at the Hyperion and, uh, and, you know. Wesley does that whole snapping his finger, like, hey, I need the I need the orb or whatever, and Gunn's like, excuse me, <laughs> and throws the... And he's like, please be very careful with that, it's very fragile, and so he throws in the orb, and Alexis Denisoff, always a master at physical comedy, does the whole tosses the book and juggles the orb. I wonder how many shots they had to take. Like, I wonder how many times he dropped that thing, but... <laughs> Anyways, and then he like looks over at Angel. He's like, "Angel, like, <laughs> I love mom? the mom, exactly." It was hilarious. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, I I've, uh, so I was trying to get us to the end, but I think we also need to acknowledge the fun uh, time split the 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 you know the present versus the past. Um, I liked just really how much time we got to spend with just Wes and Cordy. Mm -hmm. doing their research it was fun to see it 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 kind of fills in the blanks because you can imagine them having done this kind of in a lot of episodes you see them go off to do research and then they come back in the next scene and the research is done and they figured it out so it's kind of fun to see what that process might look like with all the folders laid out in front of them and debating over no this clue goes on this one or whatever Mm -hmm. it was fun stuff um
1: one thing we haven't talked about is um, when Angel, you know, in the past, he doesn't have his team. So he right. goes and finds that shop guy that I can't remember the Denver. name of Denver, Denver. which I, I believe Denver and... is
0: supposed to be a reference to Bob Denver, who played. Uh... Oh, my gosh, is
1: that Gilligan.
0: Yeah, but that's not that's not um... it's C- Eugene Krebs. Was that the character's name on like the the life of Dobie Gillis man I'm butchering a lot of this but
1: I have no idea
0: that was an early example of like one of those sort of nerd slash beatnik characters in pop culture I think that's what that's a reference to probably maybe not but anyways yeah the character of Denver
1: and uh, just like Denver kind of stands in for for the rest of Angel's investigations even though you know Angel didn't have that experience At that point he he used Denver As his personal scooby gang right? To do the, the research and the The kind of academic part
0: And he wasn't gentle about it at that time
1: No he was not
0: um, Which is maybe a thing that we can talk about The whole uh, Trying to fit into The sort of continuity of the Mythology of the show Um I think for the most part, the show has showed us that Angel gets his soul back. Then he spends a hundred years as a miserable homeless person living off rats. Um, Like that's kind of the larger thing that we've been told. And here we find out that, no, there are, I mean, this show does it going forward as well. We get a lot of things filled in, a lot of gaps filled in, but this is one of the first ones where we see, no, somewhere in that period, he had... Learned how to how to pass he was passing
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and doing a poor job of it <laughs> um, but
1: I think part of that is just that he is not impressed at all with humanity.
0: yeah, something obviously he's come to a point where he's like, he's actually I don't know if I've been this dark on this show. I know on my other podcast I've been very dark lately, but i'm in a I'm in a headspace right now that's kind of like angel in this episode. I'm yeah, a little they're bit like, man, like when
1: I read the news and I get like overloaded, I'm just like, just blow it all
0: up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Take them all. Take them all. Um, yeah. So obviously something has happened and he's he's able to pass at the moment, but he kind of is just all it takes is a little push from a Thessalag demon. And uh, and for Judy to say, it's him. He did it. Check his room. And he's like, you know what? You can have him.
1: Looking forward to season five, that episode where we flash back to World War Uh, Two. On a sub. Yeah, I wonder if that like
0: why we fight. I think is
1: yeah.
0: I don't remember. Literally, all I remember about that episode is that it's on a sub and Spike is there.
1: Uh, he he turns a human, and it's the only human he's turned after he's gotten his soul but also you know just in general world war Two was pretty horrific
0: right yeah
1: and maybe that like they don't show anything to say that 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 was when the angel was like fuck people right but
0: yeah well this would be this is is it 52 or 53 i think it's 53 i don't know I can't remember if, if I've just read that in notes Or if that was ever on screen anywhere But anyways, early 50s So this would have been sort of maybe his next phase Right after that, his World War II experience So yeah, I mean There were probably a lot of people that were like You know what, just fuck everybody Um. Yeah, alright So the end, obviously We go from from seeing Angel condemn Not only Like everybody in the hotel at the time. But also specifically Judy, who Mm -hmm. now admittedly Angel would have had no idea. And at that moment probably didn't care to consider (laughs) of the individual people and what they might suffer. Um, But just everybody in that. We learn some of the fates of the people because we find out that the bellhop killed a bunch of people with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what happened to everybody, uh like we don't know what happened to specifically. I don't think unless it's in any of the news clippings, and I just didn't pause to read them we don't find out what happens to the actor, the screenwriter, or the what was that other guy a director? Was he a director?
1: There was the older uh, guy I think okay, there was the screenwriter who' was kind of older. There was the Rock Hudson guy. Right, and um, the they say it in the script, aging horror, which I do not love. But um, there was her, and then there was like a guy that was just like an old fat guy. I don't yeah, but I, I think
0: I think we first saw him as um, he was talking to a woman who was sort of running away, saying, "Oh, come on, how do you think?" Uh, I don't remember who he says. Lana but it, Turner. Lana Turner got into the business. The impression there is that he might have been a director or a producer who was trying to do the whole couch casting or the casting couch thing or whatever. But right. anyways, so I don't think we ever find out specifically what happens to them. But the point is, whatever happened to everybody else, uh, Judy lives through all of it um, in isolation in her room. Um, and the the episode doesn't bother to explain like how she's been living. Like if yeah, she's like
1: where her food comes from, yeah,
0: is he feeding her, or is this a magical thing? is he sustaining her? I lean towards that since as soon as he dies, she fades away, but um yeah,
1: I mean, I think that it may be part of it, uh-huh. but I don't know that it is all of it because I mean, how are uses he's just using her to sustain her that way because yeah, true her.
0: it's a zero sum game at that point, isn't it, yeah, yeah. So, While he's been doing something He's been Keeping her as his Pet slash food supply For Mm -hmm. 50 years Um, Which is really heartbreaking And um, Again, shame on me for not writing down That actress's name, Eva Simmel Or something, I can't remember That actress, I'll find it Um, But That scene is really heartbreaking And It actually reminded me, I don't don't know if this is, have you read Sandman? Yeah. Okay. So there was uh, in the first story arc when Constantine, in order to get the pouch of sand back from his ex-girlfriend, she's been living in a hotel room. The sand has been sustaining her or whatever. Reminded me a little bit of that, only less Mm -hmm. gruesome, much less gruesome. Uh, But that actress's performance was really heartbreaking like they could have gone much darker like she could have been way more
1: in the original script she thought that he was she initially thought that he was there to haunt her to punish her oh okay Okay. and they cut that out
0: i mean i would have accepted that as well but i I really like the the way that she's go she goes out and the the fact that she's happy to see him Mm -hmm. and you know she's ready to go out now but she just needs to take take a nap first
1: um that was a an amazing scene for for judy the character and the scene where she gives angel up and you can see the second that she's after she screams he's a monster he's got blood in his room she's like what the fuck did i just do
0: yeah 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 um and then even as the whole mob scene i mean the mob scene is chilling and horrifying, but it's also super well done. Like you and I watch pop culture. I'm sure we've seen countless examples of of actors being hanged. And oftentimes you're like, Okay, I get I get the point, but it looks like someone it, it either looks like a dummy or
1: Or like you can see they're hanging from their waist. Right,
0: exactly. You can tell that they're not um I don't know what they did. I don't know what uh What David Boreanaz did, but um, it was well executed. No pun intended. It really
1: was. I actually have sort of a thing about uh, hanging. A friend of mine hanged himself in high school. Mm -hmm. So um, it's gotten to the point now where, if I know it's coming, it's okay. Okay. So I was okay with this, but initially this was just horrifying to me.
0: Yeah. On an extra level. Yeah. Um, Well, let's. Not talk about that then but um, But in that scene when um, Like Judy is sort of Swept out with the mob as that scene is playing Out and Again another subtle bit of facial Acting that um, like you said When she makes the accusation As soon as she makes it and the the Mob reacts on her face You can see her realize oh crap (laughs) Why did I just do that And then as she's watching The mob do what they do Um, she's just barely like being swept up in it. Like she's there and she's watching it. And at first, as I was watching it, I was like, Oh, she's just absolutely horrified that this is happening. But then when the spell fades, uh, like when, when the Thessalag demon is sated by this whole thing and the crowd sort of comes to their senses and wanders off, you see her snap out of it even more.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So yeah, her, Her performance, her acting out the different Levels of she's swept up in this paranoia And hatred and uh, And all that uh, And then realizing what she did and presumably Wandering off back to her room like everybody Else and Staying there for 50 years Yeah It's pretty terrible Um, And Of course Because it's, you know A Weedonverse show um, We get a We get a little bit of a breather, a little bit of an up, a lighter beat at the end with um, Cordy and Wesley not, you know, talking about how horrible this building is. And Angel's like, yeah, I think we're moving our offices here, (laughs) whatever. Um, Although Wesley did go uh, so interesting in light of where they end up in season five, uh, Wesley being like You know this is with everything that's happened here This is a house of evil surely you recognize That and uh Angel's like not anymore or whatever Um I don't know I I like the the Promise of where that's going I mean we know where that's going but I like The promise in the moment of where that's going The establishing of that location The possibility that there is going to be More weirdness to come From having your offices In here I do lament the fact that uh This means we don't get Phantom Dennis as much as we would have if they had just kept their offices.
1: Cordy, you know, ascends and they don't know what happened to her. Like, we don't get Phantom Dennis at all.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't remember when when the cutoff is, but I know at some point they just Phantom Dennis is gone.
1: Yeah, he as soon as Cordy is gone. I don't know the exact episode that that we see him last, but. When Cordy is gone, we just never go back to her apartment. They allude to it that like they were paying the rent for a while and then they couldn't keep doing it and let it go. Right. But uh, we just we never get to say goodbye to Dennis.
0: I've said many times throughout Buffy and then even into Angel Season One, I've lamented the spin-off show spin off shows or comics or whatever that we have not gotten. Phantom Dennis deserves a spin off. I now I'm imagining some spin-off show or comic that features Dennis and David Nabbitt. And <laughs> I don't even know who else. I'm I'm gonna build an alternate uh angel investigations team in my head um that will include Phantom Dennis and David Nabbitt.
1: That sounds fun.
0: Uh, uh, by the way, Eve Sagal, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the actress that played Older Judy. Um I don't see any other credits for her, but the like demon, shame on me for not looking this up or writing it down sooner. Uh, played by Tony Amendola, who is an actor who's been in hundreds of uh, pop culture like genre properties. Um, I'm scanning to see if I could just name something. I mean, he's been in Legend of Zorro, uh, uh, Lois and Clark, Stargate, um, Voyager, X-Files, Angel, Charmed, Alias. He's been everywhere. So shame on me for not having Oh, Space Above and Beyond, one of my favorite shows that nobody ever remembers existed. He was in that too. I
1: remember it existed. I didn't watch it, but I remember uh, it existed.
0: It was good. It was good. Okay. So um I think that might be that. Uh I, I again I feel like I haven't given proper due. Like I don't think I lived up to my expectations for how tremendous this episode was, but it is one of the bright moments in the series for me. Um, It's one of the episodes that I point to. I mean, if anyone asks me what Angel to watch, I'm like, uh, all of it. But (laughs) if you want me to single out just a handful of episodes, this would be one of them I would point to.
1: I would too. This and and Waiting in the Rings, which is, I think, Mm. the next... Not the next time I'm here. The time after that.
0: You are... I did look this up for the first time So you, I've got you scheduled to come back Towards the end of this season uh, yes. For Disharmony, Dead End, and Belonging And then um, Oh, and You're on the list for Billy
1: Yes, yes, I'm so excited about that
0: Good lord, and then Waiting in the Wings Billy mm.
1: Yes, There's that's a r- actually One of my favorites
0: It's one of my I favorites too, but weird. man Man, <laughs> I mean it's my fa- It's one of my favorites in a In an awful way
1: Yes, exactly
0: Okay So yeah, uh, you will you will return uh, In the meantime, thank you so much for being here For talking about this with me It's a crime that it's been since I think like August of 2019 <laughs> Since I've had you on the show And you yeah. kind of had to twist my So, uh, confession time As is always the case I find countless excuses To postpone recording sessions of this podcast There's so many other things that I'm doing and oftentimes particularly for Gobbledy Geek, it involves watching an entire freaking season of a television show so i can talk about it or like reading an entire run of a comic things that i feel like i have to focus on and that's why i tend to sort of postpone these things it's hard for me to fit three episodes of angel in when i have an entire season of the americans to watch um but yeah you finally put your foot down i feel like <laughs> in a recent message you were like so we're recording this next week right and i'm like Yes, <laughs> we'll do this Yes, absolutely
1: I do enjoy being on the podcast
0: I enjoy having you on the show um, And obviously Well, I shouldn't say obviously Because who knows how long the wait Between <laughs> recordings will be But you're on the schedule not In the not-too-distant future So you will be back And again, guests step out all the time So maybe you can jump in or even earlier uh, Melanie, is there anything that you want to pimp or preach about or just let people know how they can stalk you
1: um well i'm on twitter as research nerdery all one word great name um i don't have any projects but i recommend everyone who has either access to cable and the tbs channel or the hbo max app Mm -hmm. to check out miracle workers it's on TBS, it's on the it's in its third season. The first two are on HBO Max and it's super funny and it has Daniel Radcliffe as a uh, angel in charge of answering prayers. Uh, and it's kind of ridiculous and fun.
0: I might, I was going to say I don't know what that is, but I think maybe I have seen
1: a promo for that. I put a that. clip from the current season on my Facebook page of of Daniel Radcliffe like doing a drag scene is that
0: the is that the one is it like in the old west or it's on the
1: yeah the season three is okay season one is is set kind of modern times
0: oh interesting and steve
1: buscemi plays god
0: of course of course
1: and he's very helpless and hilarious
0: (laughs) oh yeah now i'm remembering i'm wow I don't think my brain even realized those were the same shows. I've seen promos for that. In fact, I may even have watched the first episode of that. Um, And then the only other thing that I can consciously remember seeing are promos for the whole Oregon Trail kind of thing. I didn't realize that it was a it was the same show. So each season is just a different.
1: I think so. I'm only five episodes into the first season. I basically yesterday after I saw that clip of of. Daniel Radcliffe I was like well I have to check this out now and I turned it on to watch an episode or two to see if it was something that I thought David would want to watch with me or something that I'd watch while he was watching something I don't want to watch and um, I just couldn't stop it until he got home and I was like okay now I should probably pay attention to other human beings
0: (laughs) nah who wants to do that these days (laughs) All right. yeah, well that's uh, super interesting I'm sure I'll, I'll add that What's it on, you said?
1: It's HBO on Max TBS and, TN- and HBO Max Okay,
0: gotcha I'll put that back on the list My wife and I are always, anytime we finish binging one thing We always look for something else So, excellent um, Alright Well, Melanie, thank you again for joining me uh, And thank you everybody at home for listening You can find links to this and all of our past episodes At the website conswithdead.com Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, Someday we'll be on Spotify when I stop being so lazy. Um, If you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, uh, you can send an email to conswithdead at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at conswithdead, um, or you can reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Uh, Next week, or give or take, um, Michael Holland, the aforementioned Michael Holland, who I hope weighs in on... uh, are you now or have you ever been we'll get his opportunity Because he joins me uh, Ostensibly to Take some time out of his Hollywood high life and discuss uh, Episodes 204 untouched 205 dear boy with Darla and 206 guys Will be guys which I remember being another of the Season two highlights for Me so until then Remember if nothing we do matters then all That matters is what we do
1: Looking in their eyes I see